RadioInfluence.com. And a very Merry Christmas to you and yours out there. I'm Scott Seidenberg, alongside veteran coach, scout, and consultant Chris Landry from LandryFootball.com. It is our New Year's Six and College Football Playoff Semifinal Preview Edition of Rush the Field, the best college football podcast out there. I'm not biased, Chris. I just go by what I hear. And I hear that Rush the Field is the very best. Merry Christmas, brother. Merry Christmas to you and to everyone out there. And uh, it signifies a, a great time of year, isn't it? And for football, for all football fans at all levels. And, you know, we have a little bit. We have the we've talked about the bowl games. Get the sense out there that not everybody's doing cartwheels on all the bowl games. I like them. You like them. Um, there have been some interesting ones, but now we're getting into between Christmas, New Year's, some bigger games and a little twist as the 29th because of the schedule, not the first is when we're going to have the two championship, uh, the, the semifinal games. So it's like, yeah, you know, uh, you know, throw away the wrapping paper and, you know, and, you know, whatever you do post Christmas and uh, sit down. We've got the uh, the playoffs for you. That's right. You know, a couple of good games start this week. You got games on Thursday and then Friday and a big schedule on Saturday, highlighted, as you mentioned, by the college football playoff national semifinal. It'll begin at four o'clock Eastern time with the Cotton Bowl, Notre Dame and Clemson. Eight o'clock Eastern time is the uh, Orange Bowl between Oklahoma and Alabama. And then, of course, you got the December 31st games and New Year's Day. We'll wrap up the New Year's Six and then next week's episode, we will preview the national championship game and look back on the week's worth of bowl games. But first, some house cleaning, Chris, in the world of college football, and it pertains to the participants in the college football playoff. Alabama has suspended three players just for the Orange Bowl game. No word yet on what's going to happen if they should make it to the national championship game. One of the players suspended is starting offensive lineman Deontay Brown. The other is reserve Elliot Baker, who's an offensive lineman, and Ken James, a tight end. Nick Saban uh, said in a statement, quote, it is due to a violation of team rules and policies. Are, are we talking about something like breaking curfew or something a little more serious for these players? Uh, it could be could be either. Um, don't know. Uh, obviously, that's a vague way of, of putting it. And um, that's why it's done that way. Uh, it could be, and this happens more often than not. Why? Um, the semester's out. out. The school yeah. semester's out. You're practicing, got a little bit more time, a little bit more time off. They tend to kind of, yeah, you know, Christmas partying to, you know, you, you know, just the normal things that people do. Um, and just, you know, I'm not, I'm not extenuating what happens, but, you know, I hear statistics that, you know, DUIs go up in society on uh, holiday time because more people go to Christmas parties and get behind the wheel with a little too much in them. You know, I, I don't know what happened here and um, may, we may not know the full details, but uh, it does appear it will likely be for one game. Although, as you mentioned, nothing definite on that. Um, but it is uh, it is it is something obviously involving uh, off the field issues that violated a team rule and, and they left it at that. What's the impact now of losing Brown, who has started five of the past six games for Nick Saban? Well, obviously, he's he's a good player. Um, you never want to you want to have all hands on deck when you're playing in the playoffs. Um, I don't think it's a it's a 
it's as big a deal, no disrespect. And listen, for all I know, Oklahoma's going to come out and shock the world. But I, I, I think mm-hmm. that, that there's some advantages here, big advantages for Alabama that probably would be more of a factor if you lose a starting offensive lineman against a Clemson's defensive front versus – Oklahoma. So let's just call it the way it is. So um, it's uh, it's not the starting quarterback that's been let go. And while it's a good offensive lineman, it's against a front that's that's not very good. They'll plug in another really good player, but the chemistry can be affected a little bit. Um, not having one of your guys because that offensive line is really truly like a like a, a link, you know, a chain link where all five have to work in unison. And some, you know, it's not as easy to plug in just a talented player and it work as well as it would say at another position. So it, it'll be some adjustments, um, but you know, I don't think it's something that's going to have that negative uh, an effect. And it's not something like that's permeating through the locker room or through the program. That's a major distraction. That's, that's what they do probably better than anybody. And that is eliminate distractions there. Well, you mentioned Clemson's defensive front, they're going to be without mm-hmm. Dexter Lawrence. Star defensive tackle Dexter Lawrence among three Tigers players who tested positive for a banned substance earlier in the month, and they will not participate in the college football playoff semifinal game against Notre Dame in the Cotton Bowl. How big of a loss is this for Dabo Swinney? Oh, I think it's huge. I mean, this is, this is uh, of all of the players that we were talking about, this is definitely the best player and an impactful guy. Um, could very well have an effect against Notre Dame. Certainly, um, I don't know. The, and again, it is not known whether they win if he's going to be available for the championship game. Uh, don't know yet. Uh, there, there's still some doubt about that. I, I think losing a guy of that uh, of that ilk <clears throat> is definitely a big effect because that's that's their strength of their team. They've got other guys. It's not like, uh, boy, that's the one really good defensive lineman that they have, but that's the strength of their their defense. Uh, and to have a guy like that that can cause a lot of problems for you up front, it's certainly going to help to have one less guy you have to focus on up front for Notre Dame and potentially, you know, obviously Alabama or Oklahoma, whoever has to play uh, Clemson if Clemson were to advance against Notre Dame. Now I guess they're looking if, for if, if he's out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now I guess they're gonna they're waiting on a B sample result, which <coughs> uh, is supposed to weed out a false positive. They should get that later on this week. But if the players aren't cleared after the appeal, the undergraduate players are subject to a one year suspension because this substance, uh, Osterine, is used to promote muscle growth and it's on the list of WADA's prohibited substances. So we're not talking about weed here. We're talking about a PED that these kids have tested positive for. Yeah, and you know, listen, it's a um, it, 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 this is a whole whole can of worms of kind of you got to be careful what you put in your body. And mm-hmm. there's so many things that you can take today that that have this stuff. It's not like I just want to make this the case out there. It's not like they went and got something for the purpose of they knew it was wrong. They obviously took something that this stuff was in it. They didn't realize. That's my guess. Mm-hmm. That's the way it usually happens. However, you, you can't do that. Um, we talk about it more in the NFL in that, you know, guys, there's no excuse. You can't go get over their kind of stuff for a cold or anything. 
you know, um, handles everything. Yeah. You know, you just, you don't know what's in there. You're not a, you're not a pharmacist, a chemist, and you don't know what stuff is in. You can't do that. And, and pretty much the same thing applies to these young men. I mean, why are they putting something in their body unless it's given to them by the training staff? You just shouldn't do it. So it's really no excuse, but it's not a sinister thing. And they're trying to get away with something. It's really a case of just, you know, being, you know, not, not, not doing with being, not being smart about how to, how to handle their business there. So uh, it's, it's a mistake here that is going to be a costly one. Now in the case of Lawrence, he's going to be a number one first round draft pick. So he won't, that won't be an issue for him the next year. But the, the other the other underclassmen that you mentioned that are reserve players, you're right, it could have a, a lingering effect in the next season. Seems like all the top teams that are involved in the college football playoff, Chris, are in the news this week. We talk about the players transferring and guys having the, the option and the choice to do so. And uh, we know about how um, Kelly Bryan is transferring. We're waiting to see exactly what happens with Justin Fields, where he ends up, and what, especially what happens with the, the waiver that he's trying to apply for, the hardship waiver, so he can play right away. Brandon Wimbush of Notre Dame is in a different situation. He has completed his undergraduate obligations at the university, and therefore he is going to transfer and will be eligible to play anywhere next year immediately. Now, he's going to be with the team. He'll be with them for the college football playoff. But when you look at Brandon Wimbush, a guy who was not the starter when he first came in, then became the starter, uh, started 9-1 and one last year uh, before struggling, do you view this kid as a starting quarterback on a big-time program next year? Well, <clears throat> he, he, on a power five, power 5 program, yeah, I, I think he can. I think there are a number of places we, you know, Kelly Bryant's doing it, um, Jalen Hurts, I think, will will do it because um, he's in the same situation as Wimbush and that he graduated mm-hmm. uh, a week ago. Um, I, you know, it, it, you would have to define the power. For, I mean, I think that, it, it, you know, a big-time program, uh, a program that's – A national w- title contender, t- let's say. Well, I don't know because you, you'd, I'd, I'd have to sit there and look at, all right, who's coming back and let's just take the top 10, 12 teams. Uh-huh. How many – how many of those programs could he go in and start? I don't know. I'd have to kind of take a look at it a little bit more. I, I think there might be one or two. It's kind of like, you know, okay, Kelly Bryant went to Missouri. That's a that's a Power 5 program. They're not a national, you know, playoff contender. contender. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I would probably say, I mean, do I see him like Justin Fields going into Ohio State uh, or Oklahoma or someplace like that, I probably wouldn't think that he would be mm-hmm. fit into that. Now he could he could end up getting a start somewhere, you know, perhaps. But I don't know that that would that would be a playoff contender type team. Yeah, but still a team that you know is definitely a power <clears throat> five conference team. Yeah, um, I mean, let me let me say this: he's, um, he's a force. Could he kid. end up doing what a Joe Burrow did? Mm-hmm. Going to an LSU, yeah. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, I could see that. Now, you know, it depends on what you think are the, you know, the Power Five or the, you know, the national power type teams. That That's, quite frankly, very few when you think about it. Absolutely. All right, Chris. Well, 
we got a couple of big games to talk about here. We'll put the college football playoff games to a side for now, and we'll talk about the beginning of the New Year's Six. And I know it's kind of out of order, but I want to save the big guns for last, and that's why we'll get to the college football playoff once the college football playoff. Uh, we'll get to that conversation here. But the New Year's Six, everyone knows, are the marquee bowl games that we are all going to be uh, obsessing over, right? On Saturday the 29th, you have the Peach Bowl, the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl in Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, Florida against Michigan. Michigan is a team, Chris, that when I looked at at the beginning of the season, I thought they were incredibly overrated. But they turned my, my not bias, but I guess they changed my opinion throughout the rest of the season because I thought they did play really well. I think they're in a, a little bit of an interesting situation here because they're going to be without some players, right? Rashawn Gary's not playing. Um, they found out they're not going to. They're going to be without another player or two here coming up for this bowl game. And I look at Florida as a hungry team that wants to send a message by winning this bowl game. So when I look at number seven Michigan and number ten Florida, I think the game is going to be a lot closer than what people think. I know Michigan's like a six and a half to seven point favorite. But I see Florida coming out strong and handling the Wolverines attack in this one. Well, you could make the case that not only with Gary not playing, Devin Bush in that's Higdon. That's what I mean, Devin Bush, yep. That's, that's their three best players. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not playing. Um, that concerns me. It concerns me that they're not playing, and it concerns me as to where their focus is. I mean, you wonder. Um, you know, again, we had this discussion about – how important are these games to these players that are non-playoff games? I think it's pretty clear to those guys that they're not. They're sitting it out. It, it, it certainly gives a sign that they're not, at least from those players' standpoint, they weren't focusing on this. I think Michigan's the better team here of the two. I think they're more talented. I think Florida's program is only going to get better and better. Um, you know, when you look at this Michigan team all year long, you know, they're going to be defined <laughs> as, you know, that awful, ugly performance against the Buckeyes. Yeah. They were yep. really, really good all year long. And, you know, we look at it and in some ways, Ohio State, no one forgets the blowout loss to Iowa last year or the blowout loss to Purdue this year. But somehow, because they beat Michigan, have beaten Michigan, it's it's not forgotten, but it's kind of – you know, listen, people were discussing Ohio State last year, possibly making it into the playoffs a little bit this year, although we knew that it was between Oklahoma and Georgia, most likely. You know, Michigan is just like falling off the map. We tend to forget they were dominant uh, with wins over Wisconsin and Penn State and Michigan State and a defense that, quite frankly, week in and week out played as good as any or better than any in college football. And then you had the disaster in Columbus. So I think it is a chance to not erase that, but kind of make up for that. But then you wonder again with those top three players, not that they're incapable of doing it, but what does it say about their focus? Maybe maybe the focus and the practice has been really good. It'll be, it'll be an interesting game, one of the more intriguing games, but I would have liked to have seen Michigan play with those three players. Well, yeah, we'd always like to see the teams at full strength because that's really how this is our opportunity, Chris, to judge conference versus conference, team versus team. Unfortunately, we know that that's the situation that we get. We don't get 
these teams playing at full strength. And it's a shame because we would be able to judge. Uh, in fact, I was looking. Um, somebody brought this up to me when everyone wants to talk about Central Florida, right? And how, oh, Central Florida undefeated. They'll, they'll claim another national championship game once they win their bowl game. And, and we'll get to their bowl game coming up, trust me. But when you look at the rest of the American Conference and what they have done in bowl games this year, it has not been an impressive performance and I'm being polite in saying that, Chris. So the conference has not had a good showing. And I understand that you really can't judge a conference by its opportunities against other conferences. But that's really what we do. And so far during the bowl season, the American conference has put up a big fat goose egg. Yeah, I actually think that when and, and I do think it's difficult to look at bowl games as the true litmus test of who's better. But I think it is more of an indicator for the group of five teams. Here's why. You don't have players sitting out a group of five games. Now, you need to factor in when there's a key injury. Uh, that that can affect it. But for the most part, Scott, those teams want to win those games. I mean, mm-hmm. those bowl games mean a lot more to them than it does the Power Five schools that go to bowl games that – don't really define, you know, their season anymore like it used to. So I, I do think, like, for example, I, I think you, you you look at the Sun Belt uh, and how well they have done in yeah. the MAC and how poorly they've done in the AAC. I think that's a little bit more of an indicator. I, I don't think it's as much of an indicator for the for the Power 5 schools, quite frankly, because as we've alluded to with Michigan, but we can allude to with a lot of these games – not only do players sit out, but you wonder about the motivation. And it's not just the motivation to play the game, but it's the motivation in practicing, preparing for it. And here's the other thing I throw into it. I've noticed something, and and I think this does affect the group of five schools, maybe even more than a power five, is early signing day. Now, what, what, what do these group of five coaches do? when they've got to wrap up recruiting and have signing day and bowl practices on the same day. Mm. I mean, you think about that. It is those schools don't don't have the staff programs have. Correct. Correct. And and it's a, is not, it's a distraction for the Alabamas of the world. They can handle it. They've got larger staffs. I am noticing some things when I'm watching these bowl games, man, you could just sense that, some it was a bad matchup or somebody didn't prepare very well and case in point we said it last week i think we both like army against houston loved it. i didn't loved ex- them. i didn't expect the the major size <laughs> can of whoop ass that they put on them you could look at that game and and, and you just simply say you we, what did we say last week you know army's going to be prepared mm-hmm. you know you they show up they wake up at you know 5 a.m and make their beds that you can pop a quarter off of and they go to work and you can kind of say Houston was, eh, you know, and they got it. They got embarrassed in the game. So, I mean, you could sense some of that happening in some of these bowl games where you you wonder where the focus was. Was it more on the bowl practices or recruiting, which is another reason why, and I don't want to get off on this tangent, that I don't like the early signing date when it is. But mm-hmm. I think it's having an effect. I, I do think we will watch here this week 
going into you know some of these bowl games, uh, in, in that that we will see who's prepared, not just who's better, but but you can see who's better by the athletic ability, but who's prepared, who's focused, who's making mental errors. Those are the teams that didn't practice very well. They didn't prepare very well for whatever reason. Maybe coaching changes. See, there's a lot of things that go on from the end of the season, which is why our college football schedule is just messed up because of early signing day, because of coaching changes, because players coming out for the draft or not coming out for the draft, not playing bowl games, playing in bowl games, dealing with injuries, whatever, you know, transferring. A lot of distractions. So a lot of different agendas going on. And unless the games mean a whole lot to the teams, I'm seeing some teams play like, wow, that surely didn't look like them. During the regular, and that's good and bad because in some cases they're catching another team that just didn't show up. Let's continue to preview the New Year's Six. Again, we're going to push the college football playoff semifinals to the back burner, and we'll continue on January 1st with the Fiesta Bowl and the aforementioned Central Florida Golden Knights against LSU. I know it's a big matchup for Central Florida, a lot of pride for UCF. Last year they blew out Auburn. I get the feeling like Coach O is paying attention to what happened last year. By the way, the, him screaming at his players when he's trying to do a press conference on the sideline was one of the funniest <laughs> viral clips of the week last week. Uh, uh, and, then I, and then I saw a reporter sticking up for him saying, like, they always do those type of sideline on the field press conferences all season long. And the players were just getting a little bit rowdy. But I love the fact that he screams, hey, do a press conference over here. And then goes right back and says, we got to focus on the defensive side of the ball. <laughs> it doesn't even skip a beat. I love that from Coach O. Uh, I think LSU handles business in this game, Chris. How do you see it playing out? Well, I think they'll be focused. I think they'll be prepared. I mean, you know, you mentioned – you know they're going to be aware of it. I don't think I don't think you could be alive and and not be aware yeah. of the whole Central Florida and how they beat Auburn last year. And I think this is going to be one of the most watched bowl games outside of the playoffs because you're going to have the whole everybody in Central Florida's corner type group uh-huh. that wants to see them, and then you're going to have maybe the other people that say, shut the Central Florida folks up type group. And then, you know, the fan bases of both are going to watch. Um, I, I think a lot of people are going to going to watch this uh, game. It's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun. It's the lead into the Rose Bowl. So I, I think it'll get a lot of attention. Um, LSU will be down a couple of players, mainly Greedy Williams, which will hurt him at corner against this passing game. Listen, LSU better be prepared to play. I look at it this way. LSU's got a line of scrimmage advantage. Mm-hmm. I think they can control the football on offense. I think Central Florida's defense not very good. You mentioned the AAC. I think their record, all we know is that Central Florida is the best team. Only thing they've proven to me is they're the best team in the AAC the past couple of years. That's all they've proven. And they that should they deserve a lot of credit for that. It doesn't show me anything other than that. Even if they were to beat LSU, you know, how good is LSU anyway? I mean, I, I think it's a valid discussion. I think it's going to be a fun game. I think it's going to be a contrast in styles. LSU doesn't want to get into a shootout game. They are not a good offensive team. I think they can run the football in Central Florida. I think they will do that. I think there'll be some opportunities to make some plays off play action. But I think ball control is going to be the key. And I think that will ultimately determine the game. And if they can do that, play smart football, they'll win the game. They don't convert 
you know, if they don't get positive yards on first down, they get into third and long, and they get Central Florida a lot of possessions, it's going to be a challenge. I think this is going to be a much more difficult defense than Central Florida has played at any point in time, including Auburn last year and including anybody that they've played this year. So I think it's going to be a tougher challenge for Central Florida. I think LSU's played tougher teams, but it'll be about you know how well LSU can control the line of scrimmage and not turn the football over. I think uh, barring turnovers, LSU should be able to win this game. The granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl game, Pac-12 versus Big Ten, Washington against Ohio State. Uh, this is Dwayne Haskins' last chance to make an impression before the NFL draft. Uh, there was some concern that maybe he would sit out. I know that that's something that a lot of other quarterbacks have done. Uh, we also have Urban Meyer, right, as he is, you know, the going to be the new assistant athletic director and teacher of some ethics class, whatever he's deciding to do there with the Buckeyes next year. But for now, you got Ohio State against Washington. To me, it just comes down to talent, Chris, and I think Ohio State out-talents Washington in this one. I think the motivation here, we've talked about motivation being a theme. I think outside of the playoff teams, the motivation here for Ohio State is going to be maybe the biggest in any of the bowl games. I think Urban Meyer's first Rose Bowl game, sending him out a winner, um, despite what people on the outside may think. They Dwayne love Haskins Urban Meyer. Ride, Dwayne Haskins trying to improve his, his stock? No, no no question. He's got a lot of talent, but playing well in a bowl game is going to help him. But I think I think a lot of it is they're going to the Rose Bowl. They can send Urban out a winner. I, I think that is big for this team. This team never quite this year, even though they were in the mix once they beat Michigan and had a chance to be on the outside of a playoff team, it never felt like it. I think that they, you know, respect and and in some ways, they won't say this publicly, but feel like this is where they should be, the Rose Bowl. They probably didn't play well enough to get to the playoffs. And again, ironically, with Urban going out, he's never been to a Rose Bowl Mm -hmm. because he's been successful and you you go to the playoffs and if it's not end up being in the Rose, you know, it's an unusual circumstance in this era of college football. I think the motivation is going to be really high on sending Urban Meyer out as a winner. I, I really do. I think you're going to see Ohio State's best effort. I would imagine the practice has been really good um, and focused, and I think that they are a more talented team. I think this is a good Washington defense, one of the best secondaries in the country. I don't think they have enough offense to be able to hold up against Ohio State, and I think a well-played Ohio State team, which, again, they've been up and down, I'm counting on a well-prepared, well-focused Ohio State team. And that team, as we know, is as talented as anybody and can beat anybody. I think they win and maybe even win going away. Georgia and Texas in the All-State Sugar Bowl. You and I have been in agreement all season. We love this Georgia team. We think that they are the second best team in the country. And the game that we watched them lose to Alabama in the SEC championship game was probably the national championship. Those two teams were one and two in my eyes. And I think they were one and two in your eyes as well. 
Texas comes in riding a high. Everyone's saying that the 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 horns are back, right? Okay, hook them. That's what everyone's gonna say in this game. That being said, they are heavily underdogs, and I know that they're gonna use that as sort of mm-hmm. motivation going into this game, thinking about how heavy of an underdog they are to the big bad SEC. But it is the big bad SEC for a reason. And just like I think Ohio State has more talent than Washington, Georgia's clearly got more talent than Texas. And I expect Georgia to win this game and show a little pride. Well, I think, you know, sometimes we make, I maybe make too much of, see, I think the bowl practices are really important. I've talked about how important they are to certain individuals, but I think they're really important towards building a program or sustaining a program, getting a program back because of the 16 bowl practices. Uh, that's why I'm I'm so you know hell bent on making those practices important and not having the other distractions. But in, in, sometimes we make too much of a win here or there. But there is something to the effect of if you're Tom Herman's second year, you go into a Sugar Bowl, uh, made some improvements, beat Oklahoma, lost Oklahoma. Um, the the program is going well, recruiting's going well. I mean. Oklahoma and Texas are recruiting, or they're not recruiting at the level A&M is, but they don't have to play A&M. They're in the Big 12, and those are the two superpowers. The program's getting better. So from their standpoint, the bowl practices and the matchup against a really good Georgia team is a good way to kind of measure yourself. And I think a good performance will help them going into the offseason for the guys coming back to prepare on where they are, where they need to be, and, again, kind of give us a benchmark of where they are. I think the program is definitely on the rise, maybe developing more consistency, and I think starting off better in the year has been their bugaboo, and if they could start off better, we've seen that they've gotten better and better as the year goes along. I think that of the two, Georgia is more talented. Now, what are we going to see out of Georgia? Are we going to see a Georgia team that's hanging their head that they didn't make the playoffs? And, you know, they're playing in the Sugar Bowl, which is you, what you dream of doing if you're in the SEC, yeah. but not in not in the modern day age of where you, you your dream is to make the playoffs. And this year, that's not going to the Sugar Bowl. It's going to the Cotton Bowl, the Orange Bowl. That didn't happen. So how do you deal with that? How, how have they dealt with that in terms of practice and preparation? I, I think that they can go out and make a statement and go out and beat a good Texas team, maybe beat up a Handley, and show the world, and, and particularly if, and I'm not saying this is going to happen, we'll get to this in a second, but if there were to be decisive victories in the semifinal games by Clemson and Alabama, and Georgia, let's say, puts the beat down on Texas, you know there are going to be people that are going to be saying what? Uh-huh. Mm. Yeah, you got the four best teams right now. Whether that has anything, whether that is legitimate or not, uh, that's going to be the narrative. So what, what are you going to see here? There's no question that this Georgia team's more talented. But if they match the focus here, which I think Texas will be focused and looking for something to prove. If Georgia has something to prove, then I think they'll be really good. This, is, this Georgia team is kind of set up for a, next, a run next year again. I know they were close last year, and they are close this year. How close they got last year surprised me. This year, as I looked at it, I agree with you. I thought they were really good. But as the middle of the season went on, I kind of thought I overrated them in terms of their youth, and they started to come on. They're a really good team now, and I think next year going to be really good. Backup quarterback situation, of course, will be have to be dealt with. But this is, to me, uh, kind of a statement game. And what 
type of statement are they going to make here, good or bad? I think this game is all about Georgia and what Georgia makes of it. Yeah, this is a Georgia team that can go in there and say, hey, we just put a whooping on a Texas team that split a season series against Oklahoma. They beat them in the regular season and then lost them in the championship game. Like, uh, okay, we just destroyed them. So you put Oklahoma in the playoff above us, and when we just we barely lost Alabama, and now we show you that we destroyed the second best team in that conference. Please, uh, I think that that's the statement they want to go out there and make. And 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 that if they if they make that, and if Alabama decisively beats Oklahoma, that that becomes the narrative. You didn't pick the four best teams. That's what that's what the narrative is going to be. Mm-hmm. Of course, Oklahoma can can challenge all of that by pulling the upset over Alabama or playing them close themselves. You know, that can say, well, you know what? They, 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 they comported themselves well, but if Oklahoma gets blown out and Georgia blows out Texas, you better believe that it will make a statement, but it will not just be a statement, Scott, for Georgia, but it'll be a statement for the CFP Correct. in terms of, how do we pick it? How are we picking this? Are we doing this right? And this talk that's come about, I think it's this is a very reactive process. And every decision that they make to expand, to change, it's all, all a byproduct of what they see. And mark my words, it may not lead to anything immediately. Let Alabama blow out Georgia uh, at Alabama, uh, Alabama blow out Oklahoma, and let Georgia blow out Texas. At Clemson blow out Notre Dame, and, and, and but particularly Alabama blowing out Oklahoma and Georgia blowing out Texas, and there'll be a lot of discussion of you see you didn't pick the four best, you you did it politically, and this is why we need to make some changes. Uh, trust me, that's going to happen if those results play out the way, you know where it could. Mm-hmm. All right, Chris, let's get to the college football playoff national semifinal. It begins at 4 o'clock on Saturday, the Cotton Bowl Classic between Notre Dame and Clemson. Honestly, Clemson, I have Clemson, Alabama the whole way. That's who I picked when the four teams came out. It's who I've picked pretty much before the season even started anyway. They're the two best teams. I love the way that Clemson has just transformed their offense under Trevor Lawrence, much more vertical down the field. Defensively, they're as fast as any team in the country. We've talked about that countless times. But every time I want to pick against Notre Dame, they kind of sting me, right? They say, hey, Scott, you picked (laughs) against us again? We're going to show you, and we're going to win. And we're going to win convincingly. So I don't know if I can pick against this Notre Dame team going up against Clemson, Chris. To me, I think this is just an awesome uh, matchup in the semifinal. One team, I think, is, yes, clearly better than the other, but I would have no issues and I could see it going either way. It, if regardless of which team wins, I think they're both going to lose to Alabama in the championship game, but that's besides the point. Whichever team wins, I can see it happening on Saturday. You know, I'm not sure about this, but I don't think there is a double digit favorite in any of the bowl games except for the semifinal games in any of these bowl games. The bowl matchups, and again, Double-digit favorites and underdogs, as you know, Scott, Mm -hmm. you you know better than I do, for folks out there that might want to know, is that number is put to get an equal number of money bet on both sides. It is not necessarily an indication of a team being, you know, I think think 
Alabama was a double digit, like 11 point favorite over Georgia or something like that. And that game was close. So it's not an indication of who's better. It's an indication of what the betting public thinks. But to give you an idea and the bowl concept, the whole all these bowl games, you, you have single digit odds. The, the semifinal games are the only ones that have double-digit odds. I believe that is the case. There may be a couple, because I don't follow the point spreads all that closely, that may be of approach to that. It gives you an indication. So, Clemson, double-digit favorites over Notre Dame. Um, one thing I can tell you about studying both of these teams, Notre Dame first. They're not, for the people that are – Notre Dame is polarizing, Scott, as you well know. They got the Notre Dame haters, the Notre Dame lovers, and – excuse makers, whatever, very rarely do you get people that look at them objectively. You got to you got to do that. This is a better team and a better program than the one that played Alabama in the BCS championship game. Correct. Ian Book's an outstanding quarterback. He's a playmaker. Dexter Williams, an outstanding back. I think they're deeper on the offensive and defensive fronts. This is a really good team. I think Clemson is a better team, a more talented team. They are playing with a young quarterback, a young quarterback that has played very well since they gave him the reins. I, 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 you could make the case that without him and Kelly Bryant, I think they're still here. But I think, well, I think they're still they here made I, the, I don't see them losing a game even if no, Kelly Bryant was the quarterback. Yeah. No, they're, they're, nobody on their schedule would have beaten them. But they made that move back when they did for two reasons. One, to be fair to Kelly Bryant. Because they felt like at that time, I mean, yeah, they they let him go before he played his four games, get, got into his fifth game. Mm-hmm. But they wouldn't have done it if they felt like Kelly Bryant was the guy to lead them and would gave them the best chance to win this type of game or a game against an Alabama, uh, you know, a champion playoff championship type game. They made the move to Trevor Lawrence to get him ready for this type of game. And he has to me, probably not gotten his enough credit for what he's done. I think the guy is playing with unbelievable poise, leadership for a true freshman. Okay? Um, I, I don't know. This is a big – because he's so young, he's never been anything close to this type of a moment. Unless he just has a moment where he just really struggles under pressure – I don't see this being um, a game in which Clemson loses. I think he would have to make some mistakes. I just think he's really talented. I think defensively they're very talented. I think they can give Notre Dame a lot of problems up front defensively, uh, even without Dexter Lawrence. This is a really, really talented Clemson team that can match up with Alabama in a lot of ways athletically. So I, I think this is a better Clemson team. I have seen Clemson teams underachieve a little bit. So if they don't play their best, and and, and I'm not saying they're not going to be ready, but sometimes they don't play smart football for stretches. Mm-hmm. They'll go two or three series where they just do dumb things, and, and that is something that Notre Dame can capitalize on. So I give Notre Dame a chance in this game, but I think Clemson's best game wins, and I think they win double digits. Um, I think that if they don't play their best game, I think it's a closer game. Still give Clemson the edge, but it wouldn't shock me if Notre Dame wins it. Uh, but I fully, but it would surprise me. I think Clemson's that much better. 
In the second semifinal, Alabama against Oklahoma. First, what is the health status of Tua Tungavaloa? Uh, has he been practicing fully? What's the latest that you're hearing out of Tuscaloosa? On Monday, he started to practice kind of like full full go and every doing everything. So everything seems to be good. I haven't. That's what I've been told. So mm-hmm. um, we're going to have to go on the assumption that everything is fine. Um, by the way, it is a fascinating theory in a medical um, thing that they're doing with these high ankle sprains. I don't know if you saw it, Scott, but just for our listeners, this is really interesting from a football standpoint. You know, the high ankle sprain is is where the two bones meet, and they're kind of like separated by they, there's a there's a tendon that holds the two bones together and they're stretched out. So imagine mm-hmm. that. And that's where the spring, and it takes a lot to heal. Here's what they do with the procedure. Um, they go in and they drill through the bones of the two, two bones and they put surgical wire to basically pull them back. So essentially instead of the you hear high ankle sprain, long recovery time because it takes a lot of time for that swelling of that ligament to kind of compress in it for it to kind of come back. That's why it takes so long. Well, they surgically just, it pulls it back. Not only does it speed up the recovery process, it, from what they tell me, it will significantly reduce the chances of a high ankle sprain in their future for the rest of their life playing football. So I, I bring that up only because it's fascinating and it is going to be something that is that is in Dr. Andrews and his staff are doing it. I think it's going to be something that's going to be done, you know, regularly now in football. That's going to kind of revolutionize the high ankle sprain and how we treat it. But I, I think obviously the health of Tua, the health of Jalen, both availability in this game, will be important um, if one goes down. I think they're, that is the real key here. Everyone focuses, Scott, a lot on, well, both these offenses are great, but Alabama defense is better, and it's as simple as that. Well, it's not as simple as that. And, and I, I say this. I say that um, the style of game is the crucial point here. If I were to say both these teams just let it go offensively and – just started to attack each other's defense. I think that, A, Oklahoma's offense is good enough to give Alabama's defense some problems. It won't be like going up against Big 12 defenses. They'll have a tougher time, and Alabama will get some stops. But Oklahoma, with enough possessions, will score some points. Mm Alabama is able to go and score points as well, but I don't think Alabama wants to or should try to make this an up-tempo Let's score a bunch of points type of game. I think Alabama has a distinct edge at the line of scrimmage running the football. Oh, they could uh, not hand the ball for game defense. and just dominate them. Just run it and not score points yeah. mm-hmm. at the end of long, sustained drives. Hmm. And so I don't know that I see this as the 60 to 40 game that other people do. So everybody says, oh, man, you know, take the over, take the over, take the over. Folks, if you're inclined to do this, I'd say take the under. Because the points are so high and people thinking so high. I think Alabama compresses this game. I think they control it at the line of scrimmage. They're going to throw the football because Oklahoma is going to have to play eight, sometimes nine man boxes to stop this Alabama run. And Alabama is going to throw the football, score some points. But Alabama is going to be able to salt this game away. Alabama doesn't want Oklahoma's offense to get the football a bunch. I mean, they're not scared of it, but they don't want to have them 
you know, a lot of chances and move the football. I think that's how they're going to play this game. That's how it plays out in my mind. I think Alabama wins it. I think they win it going away, but gradually by just asserting their will at the line of scrimmage. Oklahoma doesn't really have much of a chance unless Alabama turns the football over. If they get into a little bit of a shootout, if Alabama's defense makes a bunch of mistakes and it becomes a shootout game, then all bets are off. And if it's a close game, Alabama's kicking better now, but that's been their bugaboo in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Alabama's a superior team here, and I think the superiority is at the line of scrimmage when Alabama has the ball, and I think that's the ultimate difference here. Yep, and we will preview that potential national championship game once we find out who the two opponents are. Uh, one final thing on Alabama as far as the recruiting uh, t- uh Recruiting road goes, Chris. Uh, Talia, the brother of Tua, Mm -hmm. has reaffirmed his commitment to Alabama and then led his high school to a 7A Alabama State Championship over Hoover. So uh, yeah. the, the Tunga Vailoa, the Tunga Vailoa t- uh, brothers are looking for back-to-back championships here this uh, this 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 season. Yeah, and and then first on him, he's a lot like Tua, but he's right-handed. Um, He's, I think, I haven't seen him in person. I think he's a shade shorter. Mm -hmm. Um, So he's kind of that wiry, you know, not real big, strong looking, but he's, he's a little bit more athletic. He can run even better than Tua, and he's got that knack for being able to throw it accurately, and he's got really good anticipation, Um, does a good job. They also sign... Paul Tyson, who is the great-grandson of Bear Bryant, mm. and it's not one of these legacy signings either. He's one of the top half-dozen quarterbacks in the country in high school. He's a drop-back guy, and he is really, really good. Uh, big, strong, long guy that can move a little bit better, but more of a drop-back guy. So, yeah, the rich get richer. They've had an outstanding class, and they still have a few more scholarships to give uh, for the um, for February as they're still recruiting a handful of the top players in the country that haven't signed yet. So it's been uh, – it may be as good a class as uh, as Nick Saban has had, which that speaks for itself. It's unbelievable. What can fans find on LandryFootball.com this week? Well, we've got um, a lot of things. Obviously, for those that uh, follow recruiting, we've got a lot of information on recruiting. Hit the recruiting button on, on how these classes kind of stacked up on the early signing day and – uh, give an update on that. All the bowl previews, we've got them in detail. Uh, the film room breakdowns of all these bowl games, we wrap them up after they o- they're over as well. Tell you what we saw inside the film room. So it's uh, it's more in-depth. You can go into more of the X's and O's, the strategy, the personnel matchups. That's what we get, what we get for you at LandryFootball.com. Obviously, we'll keep up to date on everything as well uh, on the NFL side. So it's a one-stop shop. The, the draft's coming up. Uh, you know, all Everything football, the college and pro level, that's what we provide for you. We still got our holiday special, to, so take advantage of that uh, before uh, before that runs out. So check us out at LandryFootball.com. If you like football, you'll love LandryFootball.com. You can also 
follow me uh, on Twitter at Landry Football. And if you want our free War Room newsletter, you can yes. sign up for that on the website as yes, well. Yes, the War Room newsletter. Click, click the contact button at the top of the webpage. You fill out your information, get those War Room newsletters that will be delivered straight to your email. Join all 32 NFL teams in 78 major college football programs by becoming members of LandryFootball.com. Membership options are, are monthly, three, six, nine months, yearly. You get all the access to the insights of veteran coach, scout, and administrator Chris Landry. Just tell them where you heard about him. You heard about it. Rush the field right here on this podcast. And every Tuesday and Thursday, the Landry Football Podcast, which breaks down news and notes in the NFL and college football. Rush the field with me, Scott Seidenberg, and Chris Landry can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com. Chris, enjoy the games for the rest of this week and the semifinals this weekend. And we will reconvene after the new year, my friends, when it's time to preview the national championship game. Hey, look forward to it, Scott. Thanks a bunch. I'm Jerry Petuck, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. If you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist, so thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out RadioInfluence.com to see what other shows we also have to offer. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com. Radio Influence.